used to be dead against uh, recording podcasts remotely. Uh-huh. Purely because there's so many podcasts out there where it's just like four guys sitting on Skype and it's the most unlistenable thing. Oh, totally. Yeah. That really put me off just the idea of doing it remotely in general. But uh, I found that obviously with the necessity of having to do it that way, you can just like not do it badly and it's fine. Yeah. I think if everyone's kind of waiting if everyone understands that you are separate and someone will put you together on a timeline like so I've only done my podcast remotely I haven't interviewed anyone in person so I interviewed my first person was in Canada so they just sent me a recording of their podcast studio and people were like oh that's great you met her and I was like I didn't meet her I didn't (laughs) like she was in Canada and I was on Skype (laughs) it's amazing how uh, how well it works yeah if you you know if you edit it quite tightly as well you can you can really close up the joints it's the gaps Um, yeah I don't think you knew me back then but when we used to do game work years ago um we were really dead against uh, could we just there was a really particular I'm not going to name them but there was a really particular podcast that we didn't want to sound like okay uh, <laughs> and it was like one guy in Edinburgh and one guy in Aberdeen and one guy somewhere else and they were just the worst oh. it's just this cacophony of man opinions cacophony of man opinions I mean that's a podcast name in itself surely <laughs> might change this one to that actually when, when Burns of Devon back on it but yeah obviously wanted to talk to you about uh, podcasting and uh, podcasts so um wanted to talk to you about Kilt Yes. Which is a great name, by the way. Yeah. But so you do a podcast, you do a true crime podcast about true crime podcasts. Is that right? Yeah, it's super meta. It's kind of ridiculous, um, but it's also quite useful. So I listened to an awful lot of true crime podcasts. Like last year, Spotify decided to spit out at me when you know it did its um, whole like, here's your stats for the year. Yeah. And it turned out I'd listened to 14,000 minutes of podcasts last year. Mm. Jesus. And I was like, that was all true crime podcasts. And I got to the point where people were like, what true crime podcast should I listen to now? And I'd always have a suggestion for them. Yeah. So I figured like that would be really cool if people had a place to go to find out what podcast they should listen to. And also there's always that thing of like, you don't ever find out what's the best podcasts apart from the big 25 so you you end up you end up with my favorite murder which is obviously wonderful you end up with serial and then you end up with a stack of the same ones and i really wanted to tell people about ones that weren't like that yeah and then speak to the people behind them as well which sounded which it just felt like podcasts don't have director's commentaries i can speak to the people behind them and they're always fascinating because there's always more in there that they want to talk about or the ways that they recorded it or how it worked or how the story is so i've just kind of yeah kilt's got two recommendations every podcast and one a deep dive interview with the person that made another one. So someone will hopefully find out what they like. Well, that is really cool. I mean, it is really useful as well, because um, like you say, there's not really anything that curates these things apart from the, you know, the popularity index on, on iTunes or Spotify. Right? Yeah, that's it. Like you, you search the best podcasts or the best true crime podcasts and you'll end up with mm-hmm. the big, you know, SEO hitters, you know, one of yeah, whom yeah. I actually write for Games Radar. <laughs> like, you, you, you can read it, but at the same time, you don't get any more so you get those things and they're the ones that everyone knows about but then having you know you it's, it's quite interesting once you sort of dive into it and it's such an incredibly passionate community and there's so yeah. much more underneath there's all kinds of interesting stories and people doing really interesting investigations into really strange things that you wouldn't believe were the case like obviously everyone watched tiger king yeah but last year wondery 
um, did a podcast called Over My Dead Body, Joe Exotic, and the podcast documentary documentarian lived in the zoo for like a week. Mm-hmm. And this podcast was 13 hours long. Jesus. So I'd already listened to Joe Exotic before I watched him. And actually the podcast had loads of stuff in it that wasn't in the documentary, like the fact that none of that is Joe Exotic's music. Like someone else writes it and he sings really quietly over the top of it. <laughs> but at no point did I see that in the Netflix. I was like, tell us it's not real because it's not. Tell us tell us he's a liar about that too. So like it was, it's cool to be able to, that podcasts almost kind of have, they're the kind of practice ground for it. And it means that you can always go back and find loads of cool stuff. Podcasts can be um, not disposable, but they're, it's a lot easier to put together a podcast than it is to put together um, a film's documentary. Totally. So people have the the time and the capacity to really do deep dives on stuff like that. Even the fact that I've managed to make one, like, <laughs> was a right, like, amazing to me. I was like, you don't need to, like, it's not even like a goldfish where you need, like, a tank when you're already yeah. done. Like, there is no <laughs> test for having a podcast. Well, the fact you just... that, like, you've managed to fit it around all the other stuff you do as well, like, your actual day job. Yeah. Um, I mean, Animal it's... Crossing has had a lot of hours, though. And, you know, <laughs> nobody, everyone being like, where's episode three of Kilt? And I'm like, I, I've been really busy and I've been waiting a new microphone and Animal Crossing sitting at like 205 hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel, yeah, I, we get a lot of that as well. We get a lot of this, this, this podcast has a lot of breaks, a lot of unscheduled breaks. And we do get people asking, like, when are you going to do another thing? When are you going to do another YouTube video? And I, I do exactly the same thing. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm just really busy. Busy. Yeah, but it won't stop me leathering. I mean, recently I've been playing through The Witcher Three again, and I've leathered like at least two hundred hours. And oh my gosh, somehow it's a game I've already played. Um, I was going to ask you about true crime because the whole concept of true crime podcasts and like it's it's quite a broad uh, category because there's hmm. somewhere you know there's ones where it's just people talking about like historic stuff like Jack the Ripper and there's other stuff where mm. ones that feel like it's just a kind of a, a guy reading a Wikipedia entry about uh, yeah. so and so. And then there's others where people really like, like do, as you, as you've mentioned, do their own actual investigation. Um, but why do you think people are morbidly fascinated with murder? Because mm. it's an odd thing to be, <laughs> it's an odd thing. It is, isn't it? Oh, so I think we're all... When it comes to when it comes to horror, yeah. like a lot of people really like going to see horror movies and some people don't really like the idea of horror happening in real life. Um, but I think when it comes to true crime, there's sort of two types of people. There's the people that avidly hunt down true crime and will listen to it. And it's not to say that they don't care about it. It's actually quite the opposite. It's almost like you're feeding your anxiety because you know there's horrible stuff out there and you feel like the more you know about it, the better you're going to feel. So it's like yeah. that kind of, what's the, what are they calling it just now for COVID, like doom scrolling or doom surfing? Oh God, like yeah. We can't, yeah. we can't help ourselves because we feel like the more we know, the better, better we'll be armed. And that's like an extreme version of it, right? So that's like this crazy version where we just mainline pandemic information and it's not good for anyone. Yeah. But I think when it comes to true crime, like the idea that, the idea that people can be so bad I think that's a thing, like, if you have a very strong sense of good and bad, the idea that people could be that awful. Yeah. I think you feel like you have to know that little bit more about it. And I also think there are lots of different true crime podcasts out there. And I think I listened to one a long time ago, and I think it's it's Sword and Scale. Mm -hmm. And they have have 911 calls in it. (laughs) Yeah, and you legitimately hear people in in times of distress. And I couldn't listen to that. I find it really, I find that really horrible. But I can happily 
listen to someone maybe talk about that thing or maybe talk about the the survivor talking afterwards saying this was awful I had to do this but we got through it so I I feel like true crime podcasts despite the fact they're about horrible things they're about horrible things happening to people who live and survive and inspire and are still here you know so I think I think it kind of balances out um, and I think a lot of people who listen to true crime podcasts especially like some sometimes it's just reading a wikipedia like i think my favorite murders say um you know we checked wiki we checked here we we got all our information from x y and z but they're also very happy to take they have like every week they have corrections corner which is basically where people tell them how the story actually went (laughs) and they're fine with it and and you listen to them and you're like well this is kind of like me talking in the pub and my friends so it's fine and you you grow attached to them they're very personality driven aren't they yeah yeah you attach yourselves to them yeah but i think when people come in and try that approach but don't have any of the same personality or or talent mm. of Karen Gilgareth and Georgia Hardstark who are exceptionally you know they are very entertaining and very bubbly and and very smart people who have created this this brand and they just happen to talk about crime and have created this big thing but like I think the documentary side of things is equally fascinating people going out and finding stories and I think like the people I've spoken to already I ask them if they're surprised by how much people want to talk about the things that have happened to them mm. and they always say that they they just, you know, people want to talk about these things. People people want to talk. That's why we're on a podcast. People want to <laughs> yeah, speak totally. and they want to share and they want to listen. And I think especially negative things, you you know, you speak to someone and they tell you the worst thing that's ever happened to them. But chances are that might happen the first time you meet them because they can't not talk about it. Yeah. So I guess it's just, I guess it's really sociable in a weird way. It's hard and sometimes it's stressful and upsetting. You're right, yeah, because they didn't really think about it like that, but you're totally right. Like, There's a lot of people in my life, the first time I met them, you know, people who might have had uh, a trauma, like, you know, often it's like a a parent dying in the last sort of Mm -hmm. 10 years is uh, particularly if you're under a certain age, um, you know, um, it can be a thing that people sort of almost open conversations with, you know. Um, it's almost like people talking about that. Um, it's like it gives you a starting point to understand them. Yeah, like a, it's almost like a form of, almost like a form of therapy. You know, when we go to therapy, we talk and we purge. And if someone listens to that and understands it, and I guess podcasting is kind of like a one-sided version of that. You don't have to think about who's on the other Who's mm. on the other side of it? You're just sort of getting. You're speaking to. I suppose that people are speaking to a documentary filmmaker or or podcast maker, and they're telling their truth. The truer it gets, and also I think with podcasts, like um, especially this sort of serial type of investigation, everyone loves the idea of investigation and the idea that an investigation can be true is kind of like watching a procedural TV drama, but just have it play out in your ears over nine hours. Yeah. People love that. How do you feel about the the morbidity of that in terms of the fact that, I mean, by the time it's being sort of disseminated to you in a in a kind of an episodic story, mm. as you say, it's like following a TV show or something, but there's a human element of this actually happened to someone. I think, yes, I think totally. I think I think you can always tell that on the tone of the, the person who's making the podcast. Yeah. I think you can always, I think you've very quickly switch off to someone that's not respecting the people that they're talking to and giving them time. Mm. So I think... I think a good true crime podcast, I mean, they, any documentary is meant to technically be there to entertain you, almost as an element of, of entertainment there. But I think 
people's lives have stories. And I think as long as those stories are being respected and not being sold as tabloid fodder, you know, giving, portraying the people in the right way, speaking to the people in the right way, um, you know, those people... Yeah, I think there's always points in podcasts where they say something that, oh, this person wouldn't talk to us. And that's what's kind of a red flag. I was like, well, th- maybe the person on the other side of this who's been accused or the the murderer's family wouldn't talk to you. That's fine. But you, you suddenly begin to think, did you harass them? Who did you speak to? I've got an episode um, coming out where I interviewed a, a chap called Howard Soons yeah, yeah. who wrote a book on Fred and Rose West. Oh, God. Yeah. And because he... In 1994, um, actually broke the story in the mirror mm-hmm. of, of the Wests. And he's been followed. He's been 25 years. He's 25 years deep mm-hmm. in, in the Fred and Rose West case. And he, you know, back when he was a tabloid journalist, he was handing over money for stories which could have destroyed the entire court case of the Wests. Like they could have got off yeah. if, if the, the, the tabloids had sold it. But now he feels very, very different. He looks back at who he was then and now it's much more focused on victims and victims' families and, and understanding and processing for them. So I think that's kind of like the this, this sort of ridiculous to the sublime now, which is the fact it was all about the, the, the horrificness of what was happening on Cromwell Street. And it was really nasty and, oh, isn't it a bit grisly? And won't we put it on the front of the tabloids? To now speaking to family members who really never managed to process their grief. Mm. And it's really hard to listen to, but it should be. And I think that's what's important. It should be hard and it should be difficult. And I don't necessarily say, oh, you know, I can't wait to listen to a really nasty true crime podcast. Yeah. That's not really how it works. So I think respect is really important. I've listened to a few true crime things, but I've, um, uh, I've, I find them really difficult to, to get into. Um, I find mm. them stressful more than anything else. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they um, are. We all know about, I mean, we, we've all spent our entire lives hearing about Jack the Ripper for example, yes. and seeing fictionalised accounts of Jack the Ripper and all the different theories about who he was. And you can see just within that case, the full sort of spectrum from uh, the full spectrum of how people treat the subject matter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got certain authors and documentarians who've acknowledged the fact that this this is this is the man who preyed on vulnerable women. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the more sensationalised uh, accounts where that doesn't really come into it. And the, the, the victims are almost collateral to the to the entertainment. You know, yeah. that's ne- it's never quite sat right, sat right with me how the the Jack the Ripper the, the Jack the Ripper story is almost glamorized. Oh, totally. There's an I'm reading an amazing book just now called The Five, which is about the woman who Jack the Ripper murdered, mm-hmm. and it's really interesting because it's the stories of those women that was never actually told. And actually, if they paid any attention to it, um, it would actually have changed the Jack the Ripper story entirely because what they discovered was he actually preyed on sleeping women, yeah, not women who were engaging in sex work. It was it was very different the story for them, but yeah, I t- I'm totally with you there. True crime itself is a really fascinating sort of obsession that a lot of people have, and there's so many dimensions to it. And of course, it's been as a kind of topic for for, for people to latch onto. It's existed for probably since the the Jack the Ripper era, right? Have you dug much into the history of it as a as a pursuit? Well, it's never really gone away because all the sort of I mean, Victorians are penny dreadfuls and stuff. We're all about stories of crime and nastiness. Yeah. And I don't think it's ever really gone away. I think what's interesting is someone like My Favourite Murder, they talk about, they've created murderinos. Mm-hmm. 
when they talk about people being OG murderinos, which are people over the last 150 years who have been not just yeah, passionate about true crime, but also um, finding you know ways to talk about rights and finding ways to talk about women's rights. And, and there's an, a quite interesting feminist attitude to a lot of it in the fact of uh, a lot of victims mm. being women and taking back narratives and lots of people being fascinated but not knowing why and a lot of people pioneering in crime, sort of um, female police detectives and judges mm. and lawyers and lots of people. So I don't think that fascination has ever not been there. But I do think that over the years that people have given it a voice mm. and people have, uh, I think, but it's, I think due to the popular, the popularity of so many documentaries of Netflix and podcasts and Amazon and all the rest of it, it feels like it's not something that you have to hide. Yeah. Yeah. Is an interest in those things or. That it, yeah. No, nobody thinks you're weird. weird. <laughs> yeah. Nobody thinks you're weird when you're like, let's make friends over the staircase. Let's talk about that. You know, like that's, that's not a weird thing now. And I think even stuff like Tiger King, I don't think we'd have Tiger King if we hadn't had Making a Murderer and if we hadn't had Serial and if we hadn't had all these things. Like, So we're we're progressing through these narratives and I think we'll end up with, we're still going to end up with terrible ways of doing it, and but at the same time, we're going to end up with really good ways of doing it. I mean, the more these things are explored, I guess, the better people will get it. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, 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 when it comes to filmmaking or podcasting, whatever sort of um, art it is, the... Uh, it's it's all accumulative right like every generation takes the the, the best of the last one and, and and runs with it yeah i think i like that idea that we'll, we will keep making things better yeah <laughs> you you hope anyway <laughs> i hope so i mean i don't know if my podcast about podcasts makes things any better but um <laughs> well at least it makes kilter. things like at least it makes it easier for people to find the good stuff right yeah and it has a pun title so that's, some, <laughs> that's somewhere touched on it just there but um i have i can't remember who was talking to about it actually but somebody did say it might even have been you um about how the the the, the true crime fandom is very like female-led um yes it seems to speak to the female experience that men have trouble understanding i think where you know just things like walking down the street can be mortally terrifying for women in a way that it's not for men for example, right? You're walking down the street and there's a dude behind you walking in the same direction and you shape, you know, you, you go down one street and down the next street and you're walking home and the guy's still behind you. And uh, most men wouldn't even think about it. But for like a lot of women, that would be uh, really stressful. Yeah. Because there's just a disparity in our experiences there. And, and how people, I'm probably not explaining it very well, but you know exactly what No, I'm they're right. absolutely... <laughs> No, they're absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, you even mentioning that is like, do I put my hand in my pocket? Do I put my keys between my fingers? Like, what will that do? Yeah, you know, yeah. it's the kind of questions that you you begin to have, and I think there is a there is definitely a an interlinking, and it's something that again I hate to go back to MFM on it, but it's something that they gave a voice to in the fact that they began talking about fuck politeness. Mm -hmm. And fuck politeness is a really interesting concept in the fact that everyone's been that person on a train or on a bus or in a restaurant or in a bar where you're on your own and you're waiting for your friend and someone comes over mm -hmm. and you feel that like you have to smile and be nice to them because because you're scared mm -hmm. you're, and you want them to go away and you, you're polite and you're nice. And the idea of fuck politeness is why do I have to be polite? Why do I have to be nice? You've come into my space. You've taken up my space. You think that 
you deserve my time and you don't. Mm. But there's never really been a nice way of saying that. And they've got this idea of fuck politeness. And I think I like the idea that it's even being addressed. It's a shared experience for a lot of people. And you don't, yeah. I didn't even put a name to it. You know, I was sitting on the, when I was working and I was living in uh, near my parents and I was working in Brayhead Shopping Centre near Glasgow and I used to sit on the train for an hour a day and there'd always be some Ned would come over and start talking yeah. and I'd be petrified you know I would and I would be I'd smile and nod and I'd put my headphones in or I'd keep my headphones in but just kind of if there was eye contact I would nod and it's because you're afraid because mm. you don't know what's going to happen if you just ignored you don't know someone's going to get angry and having a name for that and having such a strong hey we're taking back this narrative even if it doesn't change the narrative on a day-to-day -day basis, it makes you understand that other people have it. Yeah. And it makes you sad because you think about all the people that they talk about on crime podcasts and the victims who are women, not just women, the victims who are anyone who feels vulnerable. And did they fuck politeness? Did they did they argue back? Is that why they're in their situation? Or, or all of these things, it's all, it feels... um messy and, and stressful and desperately sad. And of course, it intersects with the way that particularly women are often treated after becoming uh, victims of crimes, that, that whether they survive them or not, where questions are always asked about, um, well, like you say, were, you know, were they polite enough? You know, what were they wearing? Yeah. What did they do to provoke this behaviour? You know, it's not a surprise. I mean, obviously, I don't have any hard data. <laughs> I haven't done a survey, but it's not a surprise that it seems to be true crime fandom seems to be like it, 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 I would it, it seems to have like a very strong uh, uh, female contingent uh, it definitely does I mean I went to MFM live yeah and um, you could I was about I was like 10 guys in the whole theatre yeah. was that in Glasgow and they, I remember you going to yeah that. they did it yeah they I went to London a year and a half ago when I went to Glasgow this oh, year cool. and it was there's there's a very few very few few guys and then they ask them if they're drag alongs and if they've just been brought along <laughs> for the for the show and they kind of need to explain it to them to start with it's quite fun but yeah it's um it is very female-led I mean, y'all are morbid that's what it boils down to that's it well absolutely <laughs> it's grim it's totally it's total morbidity absolutely but we just have to, you know, when there's something under a rock, you want to look and see what's living in the dark, really, don't you, Jim? Yeah. You can't just leave the rock where well, it is. Well, exactly, yeah. This is, this is exactly <laughs> it. Speaking of video games. Ah, oh, video games. <laughs> We're going to talk about video games. <laughs> we first met on a, on I think it was a review event for Assassin's Creed Unity, right? We did. We did, yes. And then it, it basically turned out over the years that we were the biggest Assassin's Creed fan that either of us knew. Yeah, uh, it was the best gradual discovery. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> like we we basically bond a lot over uh, over Assassin's Creed. I mean, you, you are the only other person who likes it as much as I do, and I don't know why it's so maligned. Well, I kind of do, but um, yeah, I'm really excited about Valhalla. Everything that we've seen so far, uh, whether it's the, the the leaks that came out a while back, or um, it just feels like the the whole thing is coming full circle in an odd way. It just feels perfect. I'm so excited. Vikings isn't the kind of setting that people would, I think, associate quite heavily with. I mean, Viking. Your image of a Viking is the total opposite to your image of an of an assassin, right? Yeah, they're not quiet. No, they're not. Yeah. <laughs> but wait, when you when when the Assassin's Creed games have become well, not even become even as far back as like the Ezio trilogy, there were glimpses of base building and managing uh, a brotherhood mm -hmm. and. 
you know, building a homestead and things like that. The longer the Assassin's Creed thing has gone on, it's taken on uh, all these other sort of tropes and it's become a lot about kind of building communities with, you know, um, obviously within a single player context, but it's building a Viking settlement in medieval England or Dark Age, Ages England feels like it's exactly where it's been headed forever. I think for us, we've been completely obsessed with Assassin's Creed for a long time mm-hmm. and we've played the new games when they come out and we've probably reviewed them and talked about them at length and previewed them and then that meant that we were obsessed with every single little change. So because it's evolved, because there's what, three, what the rumours that's two or three Assassin's Creed games being made at one time, is that the thing? Because they're every two or three years. So there's constantly little, little additions. So we watched when like unity added parker up and down do you remember that was a big deal oh yeah going yeah up I and down? That. it was like so th- they were really proud crazy. of it as well when they were telling us yeah about it. massively proud so that you could it was almost like dancer like and i don't hate unity as much as a lot of people hate unity and you i think you're with me on this mm. um but i think when you when you watch the the series progress in the way that it has so assassin's creed 3 had dual wield and black flag had dual wield but we didn't really have dual wield but now we're getting it back in valhalla because it's the black flag guys and the obviously they've moved forward the origins combat that little bit more so i think the fact that loads of people are now finally really excited by valhalla we've been excited about every increment up to this bit and we've watched it change and tick over mm-hmm. and update and what you're saying about the settlement like we had a train hideout in syndicate which was cool but it wasn't <laughs> yeah it wasn't quite a settlement but it was cool because it had all your stuff in it and that we didn't have that in origins or odyssey which were arguably well they, they were like the biggest that the game had ever been but we didn't have a little home yeah there was very little to sort of root you in the world um i mean you yeah, had you had your ship it was. In, the, in, in odyssey but you, but it wasn't it wasn't really a home base it was just your car essentially yeah and it didn't even have i was talking to i can't remember who i was talking to the other day um oh yeah um tom from eurogamer mm. who was saying that at least you could live you know in your ship in black flag or mm. in rogue you'd go under you know you'd go in and you'd see the inside of it that just wasn't there with the address there it was just covered in whichever shipmates that you decided to choose origins and odyssey made great strides in expanding the scope of what an assassin's creed game could be but they lost a little bit of the sense of not the sense of place that's not quite right but yeah this this that, that sense of grounding yeah belonging yeah belonging exactly yeah Talking of uh, Rogue, I think me and you are the only people who ever completed that, right? Yes, we definitely are the only people that finished that game. And it's a shame because that game is half the length of the other games, despite the fact that the world is still fucking huge. Yeah. And um, it has a great ending that meets perfectly with Unity. Oh, like, perfectly. Like, so... I, oh, so perfectly. I remember how excited... I think we both played because we both reviewed it, I think. And we, we, yeah. um, we, we were kind of comparing notes i'm pretty sure at the same at that around that time we released um but that 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 moment where you get to the end of well spoiler you get to the end of rogue and it and you see the intro to uh for people who don't know but aren't bothered about spoiling it you you see the um the the intro to unity from the perspective of uh, a different character basically um yes and i'd never felt more punch the air but <laughs> it was... totally it, because because i think Assassins always does that thing. I, I we're maybe one of these people that I like the modern day element. I don't hate I love it. it. Yeah. So see, the the lore is part of what makes it an Assassin's Creed game. Otherwise, you're just kind of scurrying around in a big world. But if it's got a, 
if it's got those stories and those connective tissues and between the games they've never really managed to sort of shake hands except you know revelations and brotherhood and two like they all talk to each other and then three was the rest of desmond mm. but since desmond we've never had this cohesive real nature until we had it between unity and rogue and we've got it again now with layla in the future between origins and odyssey and now valhalla but those matter and i think they were so exciting because we were the only people that it felt like it mattered to. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I remember having a conversation with somebody who hadn't played Rogue and who was sort of, uh, you know, because a lot of people are kind of casually interested in Assassin's Creed, but like a lot of people yeah. kind of uh, half like it, um, despite itself. Um, but I remember talking about like that amazing sequence in, in Rogue um, where you have to escape Lisbon during the earthquake. And oh yeah, I forgot about that. It's like it is the most like it is. It's kind of like a really good bit of like an Uncharted game. It's yeah, it's one of the most amazing sequences that's been in any of the games. And this was just like the the the, the side game that they put out because some people still had three three players to be sad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like it felt like um, there were so many great ideas in Rogue, and I wonder if. Um, the team working on it just got away with being able to do whatever they wanted. Uh, I, I feel like they might have had a bit less oversight than the people making Unity because there was just a lot less riding on it. Like it had a lower budget. It was the cross-gen kind of consolation prize game. And they reused a lot of assets as well from from AC3, like a stack of assets. And I think they then brought some over from Black Flag because do you remember you couldn't you couldn't swim. Well, you could swim for like about two seconds before you got hypothermia and died. Yeah. <laughs> Which was like, well, yes, you can jump off your ship, but you won't want to ever. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> um, I mean, you could call it a throwback to the first one. But um, like Rogue is such a weird oddity in the story of this franchise. Like it's, uh, But I, I love that game. I feel like it's a tragedy that only like six people played it, counting the two people on this podcast. Yeah. It did get remastered though, didn't it? It got a remaster. It did, yeah. I've had the remaster sitting there for a while. I loaded it up. It's very pretty. I'm, I'm planning to play through them all. Oh, really? All of them? Yeah, I want to. I want, yeah, I, like not before Valhalla. I'd watch that stream. <laughs> on a stream i'd have to turn the camera off at the bits where i'm crying um but like, uh valhalla uh i'm not going to play them all before valhalla comes out because like there's just not enough time but like yeah. um so many things have happened um so you've got like on the on the one x uh the 360 version of the first game runs in 4k now and it looks amazing yeah so i really want to play through that again the remastered Ezio trilogy on the on the, on the pro the, and then there's the third one that's been remastered rogue has been remastered so like uh, liberation's there because liberation was just on vita yeah. and then they brought it out so actually liberation was given away as part of ac3 when it was remastered they just tacked on liberation i got ac3 as part of the um season pass for odyssey <laughs> Oh, yeah, I forgot they did that. They just tossed yeah. in like a full game. Yeah, here you go, have this. It's mental. So like, Liberation was like a, a, an add-on to an add-on. Yeah. Um, um, like you have played through all the Assassin's Creed games as they've come out. Really loved sort of kind of living that story as it's happened, but I've not really revisited any of the games, basically after the kind of the year that they've came out. 
Especially in the days that when, you know, you finish one Assassin's Creed game and another one was like a month away. Yeah, Unity Rogue was the, the one two punch that meant I didn't go oh. back to Unity. Oh, well, I did. I played around in the world, but I never, I never redo the sequences unless, because I've tried to platinum a stack of Assassin's Creed games and some of them require you to have to have done the the mission sort of special thing so they want you to do a special thing in order to get through that mission so you have to redo it until you only kill people with bombs or you do it in under six minutes so that's been the only time i've ever redone sequences which is not the way to do it because you end up slightly frustrated because you do end up sticking to stuff (laughs) yeah i'll be honest even if you've played every assassin's creed game and you you understand those controls with your very essence you still get stuck Mm. on stuff when you're stressed Oh God, yeah. Um, I played like the the first twenty minutes of Assassin's Creed Two the other day, mm-hmm. um, just mainly to see what it looked like on the pro, and um, which it looks lovely, by the way. Of, it does, as, as you know, it looks very nice. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, I have got muscle memory. I've got years and years of muscle memory from Assassin's Creed, and I'm still like that bit where you have to race Ezio's brother at the yes, start of the game. I, I can never do that first. <laughs> Well, it's that weird thing in Assassin's Creed 2 of you you develop the claw, don't you? So you've got you've got to hold R2 to free run mm. and then you've got to hold X to run and then you've got to push mm-hmm. forward. And that was the thing that when Assassin's Creed 3 came out, they desperately, the developers, remember Alex Hutchinson saying, we're trying to take away the Assassin's Creed claw because mm. you had to basically contort all your fingers to run in a direction because they became so obsessed with the yeah. with the face buttons doing things. So triangle was obviously eagle vision because it was your head, square was your left arm, circle was your right and that was how you controlled all your limbs and thankfully they they took us away from that with three yeah that was one sort of trope of the series i'm glad they got rid of yeah you develop that thing as well where you've got like you're using the right stick to look but you're also holding a with your pointer finger and then your middle (laughs) finger is on the why do we love this game jim why do we love this game i don't know because the most the more i talk about it the more i understand why other people don't like it (laughs) They just haven't played it in the same way we have. They haven't. Well, this is it. This is it. I mean, I think like oh, no, like I fell in love with the the, the world building and the I know like like you say. I think it's such a it's it's common to the point of being incredibly boring. Where people every time they announce a new Assassin's Creed, there's always that fucking article that gets published usually on trusted reviews or something about why or forbes that's usually the one one. (laughs) that does it first the fucking why don't they get rid of the modern day bit and as it's like because it's no fucking assassin's creed game Uh if they get rid of the modern day story that's like saying why why did they keep making star trek with spaceships well people forget that assassin's creed's about aliens don't they everyone forgets yeah Everyone's like, yeah. what do you mean these those who came before? It's like, those who came before have been in every single Assassin's Creed game and they're the reason that you're chasing those big apples of Eden because they're full of magic tech. And it's the reason that Cassandra and Alexios have that magic left arm of the broken spear Leonidas. It's like, how did you think that worked? It's about aliens. Deal with it. Yeah, these, these, this is a lineage of people with fucking Jovian DNA. Mm-hmm. Who live on the uh, internet it, in Black Flag? Remember, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it and it just it, it, it underpins that it's, it's the entire conceit of the fucking yep. series. Mm-hmm. Stop getting it wrong. <laughs> yes. But um, they've reduced the um, the modern day element to such a degree now as well. I was I was talking to somebody on Twitter yesterday who came who said to me, uh, um, oh, "I'm really interested in playing Odyssey or, or Origins, but." 
when I read that they still had the modern day stuff in it, I just couldn't be bothered. And I'm like, oh. the modern day stuff in Origins, that's like a fucking hundred hour game. And the modern day stuff is about 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah modern day is about 15 minutes. And the thing is, like, the cool thing about the modern day that they ha- they did in Origins, and it's because yeah. they brought in Layla, who can obviously take in DNA from anybody. And basically mm-hmm. the modern day element unlocked the entire future of Assassin's Creed because all they need to do is find some... DNA gubbins of anyone and you can play them in the past and that's it so everyone should have been really pleased that that happened because you didn't need to plug you didn't need a new central character or an excuse to go into Abstergo's Abstergo Entertainment and get lies like you just got suddenly you're like I'm playing someone new because they found some new DNA go yeah it's been really cool to see that develop as well within the sort of the metafiction of the of the story, you see this a, a technology sort of being invented and yeah. then developed over the course of the games to the point where it basically becomes a games console in in one of the uh-huh. in is it Black Flag that establishes yeah, that? Yeah. It's like and you sort of and the modern day bits are you basically playing an intern in a fucking uh, fictionalized version of Ubisoft Montreal, which I found again I loved that. Or was it Unity? Because you remember the start of Unity, you could choose your adventure. Do you remember we got really excited because they had like the jazz age and various other things, but you could only yeah, select yeah. Unity. So it must have been, yeah, it was some kind of experience there. But yeah, it was to be able to, that they're so obsessed with their own meta fiction. <laughs> like, it's cool. It's like, it's like, I don't really like all the Saw movies, but I love the fact that they tried to put a story through all seven of them. <laughs> and if you watch them, <laughs> they even vaguely make sense. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, totally. I have a I have a grudging respect for managing the the loops that they have had, the burning hoops that they've had to jump through to make that series work <laughs> in the modern day. <laughs> these are the things where people who are obsessed with Assassin's Creed, I think these are these are the things that, that people like us would latch on to. Yeah. Um and I think that, that that's the, where the disconnect is. Yeah. Um, for everyone else, I'm sorry what you just had to listen to i'm so sorry (laughs) we're fine now i promise i keep comparing stuff to star trek but i think it's really similar like um it's got a similar thing right where um right star trek fans fucking hate star trek right Mm -hmm. uh but it has a similar thing where kind of like the idea of the of the star trek universe and all the and all the 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 canon threads that bind it all together and all the and and almost like it's almost like it's a thing that's it's more enjoyable to think about it and to talk about it than it is to actually sit and watch it right yeah um because you know like they've made like 900 hours of star trek and about 600 of them are terrible um and assassin's (laughs) assassin's creed doesn't have a bad ratio like that but it's i think it's similar i think it's got a similar strain where i don't think people i don't think i would enjoy going back and collecting all the feathers or 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 doing all of the sort of um the grind work that um that you have to do to see everything you know to get all the uh, do all the little sort of pieces of eden puddles and things like that but i think having done it once and then knowing about it and thinking about that side of it how it has this really mental lore that, that that binds the whole thing together it's um that's what's exciting about it it is you're right that's really interesting about star trek fans that they hate it i like that (laughs) as someone that is completely nonplussed about all things star trek that amuses me no it's it's crap i love it but it's it's remember when this series was about stabbing people in florence and and beating up the pope (laughs) 
<laughs> I love that. The Pope assault bit where you just have to literally club him with your bare hands repeatedly <laughs> until this man crumples definitely feels fine. I think I tweet that every sort of eight or nine months. Mind there was a bit in Assassin's Creed where you battered the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we should remind people again. Yeah, it's wonderful, right? It is. It's a joy. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying the Pope should get battered or anything, but it's that like, one should. He was does, a Templar. Why, he was terrible, but why? Why does that exist? How? It's a wonderful thing that it exists, it is. and I think you know, it's a wonderful thing that Assassin's Creed exists. I think it's a great. Um, the fact that it's the flagship series of you know one of the biggest publishers is amazing because it's mental. It it's the kind of thing that only like mad saddos could possibly get into. Like us. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's a um, wonderful thing. And now everyone's excited. And, and I think one of the reasons that everyone is excited and the fact that everyone watched an eight-hour stream is because at the mm. moment there's not very much to get excited about. So I'm not saying that everyone shouldn't be excited about Assassin's Creed. They absolutely should. But I am here for everyone being excited about an AC that's not Animal Crossing. I'm here for that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Although Animal Crossing was great. Oh, it is. I, yeah. think, I, think, I think everyone's a little bit tired. Although you say that, but today my turnips, 660, and I literally oh, yeah. am having notifications from people that I haven't spoken to in a while saying things like, ah, you sweet angel <laughs> of the turnips. So I think I'll be selling for the rest of the night. <laughs> I, love it. I love that. People you haven't spoken to for ages and you're just like, ah, oh, look, it came crawling back. Here for those sweet nips. <laughs> So, where can people find your stuff? Where they, where can they find Kilt? Is there other stuff you want to plug? Oh, oh, they can find Kilt on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere you get your podcasts. It's K-I-L-L-T. So, otherwise, you'll just find loads of tartan. So, K-I-L-L-T. And if you want me <laughs> um, on Twitter, I'm at shiny underscore demon. Awesome. And obviously, from there, then, every, anytime you appear on the BBC or anything, <laughs> people will be able to... When I don't swear. <laughs> <laughs> keep tabs on you. Yes. Um, uh, before we go, I did want to point out that it's quite... Uh, I'm gonna have to like uh, when when we do the the fucking description for this episode. I'm gonna have to describe you as murder enthusiast, right? No, no, Cause... please don't, please. <laughs> <laughs> because it's no, assassins because and true crime. <laughs> yeah, the the principal things we've talked about are your obsession with true crime and our like joint obsession with stabbing people in Florence, etc. I'm really sweet, really. I promise. Mm.